Blessed, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the stand that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who are faithful readers of the Peanuts cartoon strip when it was still being printed before Charles Schultz's death, know that every so often he would make Snoopy the primary character and have Snoopy attempt to write a great novel. Snoopy would lie on his back out on his doghouse and contemplate that first sentence. And he always came back to it was a dark and stormy night. Remember, (laughs) it was a dark and stormy night. Now, Charles Schultz was a liberal arts major, remember, uh, contemplated uh, becoming a Presbyterian minister early in his life. So being a liberal arts major, he knew that there really was a novel that began with that sentence. Indeed, 1830, Baron Edward Lytton wrote a, a novel called Paul Clifford, and it begins, it was a dark and stormy night. Many writers have said, if I only had that first sentence, I could write a paragraph. If I had that first sentence, I could write a short story. If I had that first sentence, I could write a novel. I'm not a poet. I admire poets. And this first psalm is the work of a poet. I want you to look at it with me. First of all, the first word in the first sentence I read it both ways with you a few moments ago because the old King James Bible began. Blessed is the one. Now we begin. Happy is the one. I looked in the Tanakh, the translation used by reform uh, temples all over the country. Uh, Rabbi Charles Sherman, Temple Israel and others would use the Tanakh as their translation. And it begins happy. I don't like happy as much as blessed because they come from such different roots. Happy comes from the same root word as happen, as hape, hape, something to happen. So you're happy if good things are happening and you're not happy if bad things are happening. The Bible doesn't really talk much about happiness. It talks more about something much deeper called joy. The word blessed actually comes from an ancient root that was blood, blood as in sacrifice, When one offers up the very best that one has. Ancient cultures all around the planet had sacrifice. Sacrifice of animals. Tragically, sometimes sacrifice of their own children or someone else's children. If a worthy sacrifice was offered, one was said to be blessed. Paul said, let me tell you the sacrifice God wants from you. He wants your souls and bodies. A living sacrifice holy and acceptable to him. If you offer up you a living sacrifice, really offer up you to the will and purposes of God, you will be blessed, blessed, happy. In Los Angeles at the Getty Museum right now, they have a collection of beautiful marble busts sculpted by Lorenzo Bernini. Uh, Gail and I have had the privilege of being in Italy several times and seeing some of the magnificent works of Lorenzo Bernini. 
He was born 1598, 22 years before the pilgrims came to this country. He lived 82 years. In this collection, there are more than 60 of his famed busts. 400 years ago, beginning when he was only 11 and 12 years of age, Lorenzo Bernini perfected the art of working with stone, a marble that is so hard and yet with delicate chiseling away and then finally, finally sanding that he perfected the lace on a woman's collar, the fold of a man's jacket, the curls in one's hair. Uh, In the beginning, he sculpted common folk whom he met as he became more and more celebrated. He was asked to do the busts of the heads of four different royal families in Western Europe. Uh, He was really outstanding at this Getty Museum exhibit. They have one room of his paintings, drawings from 400 years ago. And one of them is a self-portrait when he was a young man, 25. He was good looking, handsome, uh, classic, wonderful Roman nose, high cheekbones, uh, beautiful, handsome face, uh, ringlets of hair on his head, just sort of fluffed up in the breeze, it seemed. A young man with a vision, with a purpose in his eyes. There's another self-portrait when he was 80 years old. And here was an old man who was willing to look at himself the way he really looked. Cheeks sunken now. You can see the jaw bones and the cheekbones and the bones above his eyes and the hair almost all gone. Just a wisp or two that's turned gray. But think about what this man accomplished in 82 years. 70 years in particular when he was a creative artist. Because you see, if you go to Rome, you will see more than busts that he created. Four of the most beautiful and best known fountains in the city were done by Bernini. The Trevi Fountain where people toss in the coins, that's a Bernini fountain. If you go to the Vatican, you discover that he was one of the principal architects there. One of the most beautiful things in the Vatican The canopy, the Balachino, that is 94 feet above the main altar. Only popes have been allowed to say mass under the Bernini and Balanchini for 400 years. Every Christmas Eve, when I go through four services with you and I get home a little before one o'clock in the morning, exhausted. I brush my teeth and put on my pajamas and turn on the television Because I can't quite go to sleep yet. Too much has happened this Christmas Eve for me to sleep yet. And I watched the Pope say Mass under this magnificent canopy of Bernini. You will remember it has the great spiraling columns, four of them. If you go outside the Vatican, you will see a colonnade. Huge, huge circle of these beautiful columns. Late one afternoon, Gail and I were in Rome and there was almost no one there in this plaza. The main buildings had been closed down for the night. All the markets in the immediate vicinity were closed down. And I did my jogging in and out and around those columns. It really is a magnificent place. From this handsome young face to this weary old man, how much, how much beauty he had created that we enjoy 400 years later. How blessed, how happy 
from one who offers so much. Number two, second thing in this poem, three strong verbs here. Uh, Do not walk, do not stand, do not sit with those who are at enmity with God. That's the way one of the German theologians, Dr. Hans Joachim Krauss, translates it. Do not walk, do not stand, do not sit with those who are at enmity with God. You get to make a decision. You get to make a decision. Are you familiar with the name David Foster Wallace? I didn't know that name. I'm sorry to say, I I did not know that name. But this week, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping a thousand points and then rising a thousand points, with all that was going on on Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal devoted a fourth of a page to David Foster Wallace on Friday and a fourth of a page to him on Saturday. I decided I needed to know more about him. They were writing about him because he died nine days before. Suicide, the police said. He had taken his own life. Forty-six years old. Those who knew him said he was genius-like. Graduated summa cum laude from Amherst. Received a master's of fine arts degree, University of Arizona. Time magazine said that his novel, called Infinite Jest, was one of the 100 greatest novels written in the English language from the year 1900 to 2000. He must have been outstanding. Some thought so. In fact, the Wall Street Journal reproduced most of a commencement address he had given two years ago at Kenyon College. Let me sum it up for you as best I understood what he was saying. He said, there's some days you're so tired when work is over. You get in your car and start home. At the time of his death, this young man, 46 years old, was professor at Pomona College in California. You know what Southern California traffic looks like at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening. He said, you don't want to be around anybody and you're around everybody. People are cutting in front of you. People are cutting in behind you. People are cutting you off where you need to make a turn. Horns are blowing. People are screaming, making obscene gestures at each other. You get almost home and discover, I forgot to go to the grocery store. So you get to the grocery store and guess what? The parking lot is filled and every aisle has people in your way. Here's a baby who's screaming because it would really, really rather be at home having its dinner or getting now to bed. Here's a tired young mother. Her cart is in your way. You finally get to the checkout counter. There are 15 different registers, but only three of them are being used, of course. And every one of them has 20 people lined up behind and every basket seems to be full. You finally get to your car with these flimsy little plastic bags and try to hook them, hang them some way in the trunk so that things don't roll all over the place while you try to get on home. You see, the first inclination is this is about me. People who are in my way, people who are in my space, people who are keeping me from doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Or, he said to these graduating seniors, you can know that every person on that freeway wants to be home as badly as you. Everybody in that supermarket wishes he or she had lots of food in the refrigerator and didn't have to shop. 
This young mother who's shopping with a crying baby might wish she had a husband to help, a father who was present and caring. This one in front of you may have a child, nine years old, who's dying of leukemia. This one, a mother behind you who's near death or having major surgery tomorrow. We have a choice, a choice of how we see all these people. We need to worship, he said. Not a theologian, a writer. A writer who taught in the literature department, the creative writing department, but saying to these college graduates, we all need to worship. The word, you know, means ascribing to something worth. To what do you ascribe worth? What is worthship or worthy of your worship? He said you can assign money, things, and if you do, you can never get enough. If you make intellect your God, you're always living in the fear that someone will find you out, something you don't know. If it's power, there's always somebody more powerful. There's always somebody who has more, does more, can do more than you. I tell you, he said, I think you need God. Everything else burns away. It's in the every day, it's in the every moment that you choose. You make a choice. And to be truly free, he said, is to realize that you treat the other as if he or she is important and has a need you might be able to meet. Number three. Number three. This person, blessed Happy is one who delights in the law. Our translation says bad translation. The rabbis properly translate the word Torah as teachings, instruction. This blessed, happy person delights in the teachings of God, believing that what God has taught us, things we ought to do and things we ought not to do, is looking out for our best interests. God is looking out. For our best interest. Last week, I mentioned to you Kathleen Norris. And this week, I got a letter from Peggy Inlow in our church. And Peggy said, I just saw this article about Kathleen Norris in USA Today. Thought if you'd missed it, uh, you might like to see it. And she had sent it along. I had not seen it. Kathleen Norris has a new book that's just come out called Acedia and Me. Acedia is not a person. Acedia is a choice one makes. Acedia and me. Remember, I told you Kathleen Norris was from South Dakota. She grew up in a very small town in South Dakota, went away to college, saw a different part of the world. To her, a much more exciting, beautiful part of the world. But as a young adult, she needed to go back to South Dakota because of a serious family illness. She moved with her young husband into her grandmother's house and in time lost her mother. Uh, Kathleen decided that she needed more spiritual underpinnings when a close friend of hers came to check on her out in South Dakota and announced South Dakota, the Cappadocia of Northern America. Remember the desert, like a North African desert. How can you live in this little village in South Dakota? It's a North African desert. And Kathleen Norris wrote a book called Dakota in which she said she had to 
rediscover the monks of the third and fourth century who retreated into the desert because they thought they were being corrupted by the Roman Empire. And in the desert of Cappadocia, they found the beauty of God. After Kathleen had written three good books in the 90s, best-selling books for religious books, three books in the 90s, her father then died and then her husband died at age 57. And Kathleen said, I quit caring. I sat in my grandmother's house in South Dakota and looked out the window and saw no beauty. I saw no love. I saw no hope. I didn't care anymore. Her publisher was begging her to write something, write something. She said, I don't care. I can't even write a postcard right now. But when she despaired enough, she began to read again those writings of the third and fourth century monks. And they talked about battling acedia. Acedia. It's often translated as one of the seven deadly sins in Roman Catholicism. And it's translated sloth in English. But sloth is not laziness. Sloth is nearer apathy. It means I may be working very hard. I may work harder tomorrow or the next day. And guess what? I don't care. I don't care. And these monks battled Assyria, having withdrawn from the Roman Empire to their enclaves in the desert. They battled not caring. How does one continue to care Kathleen said she began to read in God's all-important book again, to delve into it, reading these desert fathers, reading the Bible, reading these desert fathers, reading the Bible. And the little part that came and brought her life again was the Lord's Prayer. She said, I discovered that every time I didn't care, I'd start reading the Lord's Prayer or praying it from memory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I cared. I cared. Today, I cared. Number four, this person, blessed, happy, will be like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are not so. They're like that husk around wheat. You beat it away from the wheat and you toss up into the air and the air blows the chaff away. That's what the wicked are. They're like chaff blown away, but not that, not that blessed person. He or she is a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season. Julia Attaway has a husband and five children. It's frantic around her house lots of the time, she says. Uh, Last Christmas, she was writing about a few nights later, kids were out of school. It had been a busy, busy holiday season. She finally had all five of them in their rooms in bed and her husband was in another room doing something else. And she said she had a little time at the computer. She turned out all the lights. So she was sitting there sort of focusing on this screen. And suddenly here was one of her kids had gotten out of bed. It was John, 11 years old. And she said, what happened that night reminded me of the way God must feel. When he's frustrated with us, tired of the way we treat each other, the way we so often behave with each other. And suddenly John said, Mom, 
I noticed that all your Christmas presents were so practical. She said, for several years, I decided, well, yeah, this would make my life a little easier if I had a new umbrella, if I had a new raincoat, if I had something else that helped me in the kitchen. And John, 11 years old, said, but mom, what would you like if you could have something really nice? She said, I don't know. I I don't guess I've thought about that in a long time. And John said, since you had kids. And then he looked at his mom and asked, Mom, are you ever sorry you had kids? And she said, I caught him by the shoulders so that he was looking right in my eyes. And I said, never. Never. Not ever. Ever. 